0: I don't know if you've seen, but there's a trend where like YouTubers try to sneak backstage at concerts and events and red carpets. Have you ever seen any of those videos where all these people like try to sneak backstage? So they do all kinds of things. One thing that they do is they try to impersonate celebrities. So they'll try to get a security team around them and, like, dress up like a celebrity. Sometimes what they'll do is they'll print out fake media passes, and then they'll show them pretending to be, like, uh, photographers working for different companies. So there's a lot of different ways that they do it, but the whole thing is they try to get somewhere where they're not allowed to go. But They bring their cameras and they bring all the things and they film it and they talk about, whoa, I snuck in to to this red carpet show. I snuck in to this uh, sporting event. I snuck into this VIP lounge and they post all these videos about it. So a bunch of those went viral and I think that started to inspire more people to do it. And now there's like a hundred videos online of people sneaking into events. The interesting thing is they wouldn't have to sneak in if they were just slightly more popular. You ever thought about that? Like if they just like, you know, had a couple more connections, they wouldn't have to sneak in, they could just kind of go in and show their VIP pass, or if they knew somebody really well, they could get tickets somewhere, but they don't, right? They're basically, no offense to them, but they're kind of, uh, they're they're posers, they're fakers, right? They're purposely trying to get somewhere, and one of the things they do is they try to act like they know people they don't really know. The reality is a lot of people do that when it comes to going to church. They put on a show, they act like, oh, I belong with God, I am certainly a good person, and they put on that show, and although you might not think about it like sneaking into a backstage area, it is important for you to think about that you and I, if we're saying we know God, or we're Christians, we're claiming to have special access to God, and there's really no faking it, because a lot of you, sometimes you'll come to church, and you'll fake it, and you'll try to show people in your small group, yeah, I know God, yeah, I know all of this about God, I know all this about the Bible, But the reality is you know that when you go home and when you live your life and when you talk to God, there's really no relationship there. A lot of us come to church and put on a show for everybody else, but the truth is we're being posers. We're being fakes like those people sneaking backstage. And obviously you can fool people around you. You could even fool me, but the reality is you can't fool God. I can't fool God. You can't fool God. Obviously you know that, but sometimes we live in this comfortable state We can act like, yeah, if I'm faking everybody out, that's good. It doesn't matter that God knows I'm a faker. Well, if that's you, I want you to take this sermon to heart because what we're going to talk about tonight is the fakers and the real, genuine Christians. We're talking about the people that really know God, the people who really have a relationship with him versus the people who don't the people who act like it on the outside but don't really on the inside. And we're going to look at Psalm chapter 15. So I want you to grab your Bibles. Everybody grab a Bible, look at it. If you're looking at your phone, I want you to go grab a Bible from the back. Psalm chapter 15. Psalm 15. We're talking about these Psalms of David right here at the beginning. We looked at Psalm 13 last week, which was one of those songs of lament, right? It was a sad song where David talks to God and shares his pain with God and says... I'm hurting. Things are bad. This one, David's going to talk again, but what he's going to say this time is not so much that he's hurting and that there are bad times. Not so much that there's bad times going on in his life, but he's asking a question that he's actually going to ask in another Psalm. And here's the question. Who really knows God? That was the question I asked at the beginning, right? Who really knows who God is? Who's really one day going to live with God? That's the question we ask a lot. Like, who's really going to heaven? That might be how you usually hear that question. Who's a real Christian? Who's really going to heaven? That's the kind of question that David asks. He doesn't say, hey, who's going to pretend? He says, who's real in their relationship with God? He starts off, he talks to God here. Every sermon, we're looking at a question. The question that we're looking at tonight is the question of who is close to God? It says, oh Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? That means to go camping. Back in the Old days, what they would do is, if we just read Genesis, we saw Abraham. He lived in a tent, right? And sometimes, if he had a visitor, the visitor would spend a week living with them in their tent. And that was a symbolic way to say, hey, who's going to live with God in that kind of way? Who's going to be close to God? Then he says, who shall dwell on your holy hill? That holy hill is the thing you think of. You think of the Old Testament. There was a special hill where God had the people of Israel set up a temple. And actually, if David's writing this, that temple hadn't even been built yet. But there was still the idea that God's presence was gonna be somewhere. You know that as the city of Jerusalem, or sometimes it's called Mount Zion. It's where God, first of all, had a tent called the tabernacle. You guys remember, as you read the book of Exodus, you read all the different instructions on how to build that tabernacle. And the whole point was, that was gonna be a visual representation of God being with the Israelites. And even it says that there's special places within that place and there's one special place right in the middle called the Holy of Holies and that was the place where God was. And then he says, it moves to a hill where he's building a temple, but the same thing. There's all these different places that you could go, but there was that one special place on the inside, the Holy of Holies, where God was and that people weren't allowed to go in there and just freely go in there and take whatever they want. No, it was a holy special place. That's the question David's asking, but not about the priests. He's asking about you and me. He's saying, who are the people that have a real relationship with God? Who can really say that they know God? Because God's holy and God's perfect, and not anyone could just walk into the holy of holies. Who can do that? He answers the question in chapter two. He starts to describe the person who really knows God. It says, he who walks blamelessly and does what is right, so that's going to be a summary statement. He's going to give 10 things that people who really know God, how their lifestyle is different than other people. So first of all, he says, the people who really know God, here's what they do. They walk blamelessly. They live a righteous life. They don't just hear the rules. They do what they're told to do. They're the kids who listen to their parents, not just listening to them, but do what their parents say the first time. It's those people. It's the people who don't act one way at school and another way at church. It's the people who are consistently acting like a righteous person. Then it says the people who speak truth in their heart, the people who tell the truth. He's also, verse 3, the one who does not slander with his tongue, doesn't choose to say bad things about other people behind their back. It says the one who does no evil to his neighbor right? The people that are around them. You could say, who does no evil to their classmate, who does no evil to their sibling, who doesn't do mean and evil things to other people. That's the, the person who knows God. It says, nor the one who takes up a reproach against his friend. That means like starting a fight in something between you and a friend that doesn't really need to happen, but no, I'm going to be mad about this. I'm going to be angry about this. It's the one who doesn't take up a reproach against his friend, right? Someone close to him. Verse number four, it's the person in whose eyes a vile person is despised. It says, describing the person who really knows God, here's one thing you need to know about them. Their role models, the people they look up to, are not the evil people who do wicked and unrighteous things. That's not who they look up to. They look down on the people who say, I will not repent, I won't turn to God. The righteous person looks down on them. But, middle of verse four, the one who honors those who fear the Lord. So, how do I know That I'm real with God. Well, one of the ways that I can see the fruit born out of my life is I'm looking up to righteous people. The people I wanna be like are the ones who fear the Lord, not the evil ones in the world who are successful, who are famous, who are good looking. I don't care about any of that. I just care about looking up to people who are righteous. Then it says, the next thing, the one who swears to his own hurt and does not change. That means the people who keep their promises, they keep their word, they're faithful friends. The people who say, I will be there, and they're actually there. The people who say, I will do this, mom and dad, I will take out the trash, and they do take out the trash. The people who say, yeah, I I will stop playing video games, and I will start doing my homework at seven o'clock, and the ones who actually do that. So see how a lot of people don't fit in this category? That's why David is like weeding people out, like one by one, saying, yeah, well, a person who is constantly doing this, yep, that shows they don't know God. Oh, they're doing all this? Yeah, that shows they don't know God. Oh, they do this? Well, yeah. How can they live on God's holy hill? How can they know God? Next thing, verse five says, "The one who does not put out his money at interest." That was a thing that a lot of them did back in the day. I was reading about this this week, and I heard that what many people would do back then is, if someone wanted to borrow money from you, let's say someone needed twenty dollars from you uh, for to buy I don't know chipotle for them and another person, right? Chipotle's not $20 yet. It will be at some point, right? But let's say is $20. If I said, oh, yeah, you can have $20 here. Yeah, you owe me, um, you owe me like $30 or $40 tomorrow. Be like, whoa, like, that's not nice. Like, you have the, the means to take care of them. And instead of, like, at least just saying, yeah, you can give me the $20 tomorrow. You can Venmo me later, Cash App me or, you know, Zelle, whatever people do now, right, to send money. It's like, yeah, you can do that. No, I, I need more than what you, what, what I offered you. I actually, I need, like, double." Or I need at least 50% more. Apparently, that's what a lot of these people did back in the day. The interest wasn't 2% or 3% like your parents' mortgages. It was like 50% or 100% more. says, the people who don't take advantage of others. That's basically what he's saying. He says, the people who know God, they're the ones that have stuff, but don't use their stuff to hurt other people. Okay? Also, the one who does not take a bribe against the innocent. What that looked like is back in the day, if you did something that was bad and evil, you might stand before a judge and let's say you stole money from someone. Let's say it was worth $1,000. Okay? You stole $1,000 worth of stuff that's sitting at your house. You get brought before the judge and you say, hey, you know, I stole $1,000, judge, but here's 100 of it. You want to just keep that and make sure I keep my money? And the judge says, thank you very much. I will keep that 100. Nope, this person didn't do anything wrong. And the person who got the money stolen is like, what are you talking about? He stole $1,000. And the judge, because he was bribed, this guy gave him money, said, oh no, Eh, I don't think so. That's using your money, in this case, stolen money, to literally keep more money. It's a greedy person. He's saying the person who knows God is not that type of greedy person. Look at the last line here. It's a short psalm, but look at the last line here. Let's read it all together. It's Psalm 15 verse 5. It says, he who does these things shall never be moved. They're stable. doesn't matter what happens to them in this life. God will take care of them because they're righteous. Not only in this life, but also I think when we talk about sojourning in God's tent and dwelling in his holy hill, we're not just talking about here and now a relationship with God. I think we're also talking about going to heaven with God, living with God for eternity. So if that's the case, this psalm is going to give us some very clear teaching on if you think that you have a good relationship with God while all of this evil stuff is going on in your life, you need to question that relationship with God. The question is, who's really legit? It's not the people who are constantly in all these sins. You can't be living in all your sin and also claiming you're close to God. A lot of people do that. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7 that many will come to him on the last day and say, Lord, Lord, didn't we not do all these amazing things for you? And Jesus will say to them, no, get out of here, depart from me. I never knew you. You're a worker of lawlessness. You kept all your sin. Yeah, you came to church. Yeah, you served at church. Yeah, you served in Awana and LIT and you went on a missions trip and you did all that stuff, but you didn't know me and you didn't repent of your sin. I don't know you. That's a warning for all of us. I think we need to take it seriously. And if you're a Christian, the other serious thing that you take away is, wow, this is some important teaching. I need to make sure my life looks like this. As a person who says, I know God, it needs to look like this. Maybe if you think about spending eternity with God, That's what going to heaven means, that you're going to spend forever with God. Wouldn't it be nice to know how God expects us to live, not just now, but also in eternity? That's what Psalm 15 is going to teach us about. So the first thing I want you to write down, I don't think is obvious to us. I think we all need to think this through. Point number one from verse one is I want you to crave a close relationship with God. I want you to crave a close relationship with God. The reason I say this is important is because I don't think this is true of every last person in the room. In fact, I know it's not true of all of us. If I said, hey, what do you want more than anything? I, th- I bet for most of you, it's not. Yeah, I, I want to get closer to God. I want to stop sinning in these ways. I want to I be close to God. I want to be in a deeper relationship with God. That's what I want more than anything else. The psalmist seems to be saying that, and that's the, I think that's the basis of this question. He's like, who can dwell with God? Who, who's going to live with God one day? Who's going to heaven? And then he lists out all these things that a righteous person does. Which the important thing for us to think through right now, and I want you to get clearly solid in your mind, is he doesn't say that in order to live on God's holy hill, you need to try your best to do all these things. In one sense, this list condemns every last one of us. Have I ever not walked blamelessly? Have I ever slandered? Have I ever done what's evil? Have I ever talked behind someone's back? The answer is yes, yes, yes. I'm condemned in all those areas. I'm guilty. So are you. It's interesting that Psalm 15, I think, points forward to a person who never did any of these things. There is someone who's allowed to live with God. There was a person who lived 2,000 years ago who never, ever talked bad about people behind their back. He never was evil towards his neighbor. He always walked blamelessly. He always did what was right. He always spoke truth in his heart. He always despised the vile person. He always honored the one who fears the Lord. Who am I talking about? Right. Think about Jesus. Jesus did this all perfectly so that you and I who have not done it rightly, we can have a relationship with God. So before we get into any of this, I just want you to know there's no way for you to look at this passage and then to say, yep, I fulfilled all of that. If you think that, you're wrong. Okay, just like if I looked at this past and said, oh yeah, I'm good, I I do all that stuff. I've always done all that stuff. The answer is no, I haven't. But here's the thing, if you're a Christian, your life is gonna start to look more like this because for all of eternity, this is how people are gonna interact in heaven. This is how you and me and others in this room, when we are in heaven forever, which you gotta think like this, right? You know that we are going to be in God's new world just as real as the plastic chairs you're sitting in and the Chick-fil-A between your teeth. We are gonna be in a new world forever with perfect bodies. You might even be taller. I mean, you might even, be, you'll probably be better looking. We'll all be better looking, right? You will we'll be in this new world and it's gonna be real. And the question is, what are we gonna do? How are we gonna act? Like, how are you gonna treat people in your life? It's gonna be like Psalm 15, right? And that's how we should do it now if you're a Christian. Craving a close relationship with God I just don't think is natural to us because what's natural to us is for you and me to like our sin. To look at this list of things and say, yeah, you know, I I don't want to be an evil person, but, you know, sometimes I do like talking bad about people. You know, sometimes I I do want to look up to the evil people in this world. You know, sometimes I do kind of want to change my mind and not keep my word. That's what we're naturally bent towards because of our sin. But The reality is God made you and me, just like we talked about in Psalm 8. Remember we looked at Psalm 8 two weeks ago? He made you and me in his image. And that means the most satisfying and the best thing for you and for me is to have a right relationship with God and to live like God intended, which means your desires for sin, just like my desires for sin, are actually self-destructing. They're damaging. When you want to slander about people because you feel like that'll feel good, the reality is if you do that, it's going to hurt you. We have all these desires that are self-damaging. The reason I say self-destructive is I think of the, the phone, you know, the phone, the, um, like a The Incredibles movie or a spy movie, what does it say? This message will self-destruct in five seconds. And What happens? Like the phone blows up. You ever seen a spy movie like that? Am I the only one who's seen that? Right. That's what I think of, right? Self-destructing. That's what our sinful desires do, right? If we don't stop it, if we don't stop those sinful desires, guess what's going to happen, right? You're going to self-destruct. I'm going to self-destruct, and the warning here is you and I need to want to be with God more than we want our sin. It's a hard thing to do. Reminds me of when I was in college, I did not live here. I I lived not that far away. It was only like 80 or 90 miles. But I'll tell you something. You know where I wanted to be all the time? I wanted to be here. You want to know why? There was a girl involved. There was a girl involved. A girl I liked. Alex Bowden. (laughs) That was her name back then. Um, Alexandra. It soon became, I don't know how that changed. It just started being called. I asked you one day, like, you want to be called Alex or Alexandra? And you're like, I actually kind of like Alexandra better. And ever since then, I guess it's been Alexandra. But there was a girl involved and I wanted to be here because I wanted to be with her. And when I wasn't here, something wasn't right. It was like, I always wanted to pick up the phone. I always wanted to text her. I wanted to be here because I love someone who is here and it didn't feel right when I wasn't here. If you're a Christian, that's supposed to describe our experience here on this earth, that although, yeah, we can have good times and things are great, there's something that's not right when we're, we're not close to God. And even there's something that although we can have good conversations with God and hear from God and his word and worship him through song, and we can have really good connections with God, the reality is it still falls short of what you and I were made for. It still falls short of face-to-face relationship with God. You're in Psalm 15, Turn to the right a little bit. Look at Psalm 24. Psalm 24 is a similar, very similar psalm. It has the question that's in our psalm, and it's also in this psalm. But I like how David starts this in Psalm 24. He asks the same question, hey, who's gonna live with God? Who will dwell with God? Who will ascend his holy hill? It starts out by teaching us something very important, though. Psalm 24:1 famous verse, it says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. That's a overarching statement saying, you know, God owns everything. Every person that's ever existed exists for God's glory. Every cow, every bird, every sheep, every blade of grass, it's all God's world and it belongs to God. All of it's God's, okay? So everything is God's and everyone in God's world is God's. It's pretty overarching. It says, for he founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers because God made it, Look at verse three. So after saying God owns everything, here's a question. But who in this big world that God made, who's gonna live with God in a close way? Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place, right? Because God owns everything, but who's gonna be in God's special place? Who's gonna be the ones that are close to God when everyone else is far away in their sin? Verse four, he who has clean hands and a pure heart, clean hands, the idea that they've done what's good, right? Their hands aren't dirty. There's no dirt or there's no blood. There's nothing bad on their hands. They haven't done conduct that's bad and their heart is also pure. Two ideas, their actions are good and their heart is good. He who does not lift up his soul to what is false and who does not swear deceitfully. You see how that's very similar to Psalm 15. It's the same idea says he will receive a blessing from the Lord and righteousness from God, from the God of his salvation. He will receive righteousness. That's weird. How will he receive righteousness? I thought you said he was righteous. No, this person who seeks God, God's going to do something to make them perfectly righteous. That's what happens with Jesus in the New Testament. Verse number six, he says, such is the generation of those who seek him, those who seek God. That's what it means to crave a strong relationship with God, seeking God. Sometimes we use that phrase, but I just, I'm afraid we don't always know what it means. It means I want a close relationship with God because he made me. He loves me. It says the ones who seek the face of the God of Jacob. Psalm 84 says something similar. It says, Psalm 84, one, how lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God says in Psalm 84, even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself, right? Every, every bird, they have their place to stay. God gives them a home. It says, at your altars, O Lord of hosts, in your house, that's where I wanna be, my king and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Blessed are those whose strength is you in whose heart are the highways to Zion, that holy hill. And a famous verse in Psalm 84, verse 10 says, for a day in your courts, God, is better than a thousand days elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. I'd rather be with God. I don't want to be living with the world. The question for you and I is, is that what you actually feel in your heart? Is that what you actually think? We all can read this and say, "I I would like to think that. I hope I think that. The question for us, I think it's a good searching question before we talk about God's righteous rules is, is that even true? Do I even want to be with God? Do I want to know God? Later in the book of Psalms, Psalm 73, the writer there, Asaph, says something similar. He says, I'm continually with you, God. You hold my right hand. It's like God's always walking with this person. He has a relationship with God. He says, you guide me with your counsel, right? God's word teaches us. And afterwards, you receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? There's nothing on earth I desire besides you. Not popularity, not fame, not riches. No, I want God. That's who I want. My heart and my flesh may fail, and they often will. And if your heart has never been broken, and if your flesh has never failed, if you've never been sick, we've never had everything go wrong for you, you might not believe this verse, but it's true. My heart and my flesh may fail, but God is the strength of my heart. He is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far away from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it's good to be near God, to be close to God. I've made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all your works. That's the heart of someone who wants to be with God. Jesus talks about it in the New Testament. Matthew chapter five, verse six. He says, blessed, happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Like, if your hunger is not for sin, if your hunger now becomes for what's righteous and what's good, God says, I will satisfy that desire. The problem is, for a lot of us, if we really think about it, what you and I want, if I said, hey, you can have everything you want, close your eyes, think about it, you can have anything you want, right? What fills in the blank there, for most of us, is evil things. Some things, for some of you, that are so evil that you wouldn't even say it out loud, those who hunger and thirst, crave for righteousness, God says, I'll satisfy that desire. Later on, Matthew 5:8, two verses later, Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart. Those who, from their hearts, want to do what God says. And that's kind of the problem with Psalm 15. If we look at Psalm 15, sometimes we think, okay, um, back in Psalm 15, Who's going to live with God? Well, it's the people who wash their hands. It's the people who go through the ceremonial rituals. It's the people, uh, the Levites. It's the people who, who, who are 30 years old, so now they can serve in the temple. It's the people who've you know, sacrificed the lamb. It's, a, it's all the ritual things. That's maybe what they thought of. But God's like, no, 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 that's not the person who's close to God. Whoever's close to God, they're the righteous ones. They don't have to be from a certain tribe. They don't have to be born a certain time. It's the people who know God and obey God. Reminds me, if you've ever gone to a wedding, you ever gone to a wedding um, and not known what to wear? It's like the worst feeling, right? You're like, I don't know what to wear. And if you've ever shown up to a wedding with nothing to wear, um, well, I hope you've never done that, have you? Nothing to wear? It's like you just forgot, so you wore your underwear. Like, that was it. Like, I don't know what to wear. <laughs> you put something on, right? Uh, maybe t shirt shorts, flip-flops. No, you're like, oh, no, I got to wear some nicer clothes. And then maybe you'll talk to your parents, and your parents are like, no, you got to wear something nicer than that. Guys, you have to wear a tie, and you're like, "Oh, do I have to really wear a tie." And maybe some of you are like, "Ladies, are like, no, the, the sneaker and the dress thing—it's a trend." And your mom's like, "No, no, no put on your nice shoes." And you're like, "Oh, do I have to put on my nice shoes. I don't like my nice shoes. They don't fit. They're two years old." Is this true for some of you? Okay, yeah. Um, you go to a wedding, and you're like, "Oh, I got to wear something nice because you know I want to be respectful and I don't want to get turned away." Could you imagine? I mean, some people you can get turned away from a wedding. You know, Jesus tells a story of a person who gets turned away from a wedding. It's a story. It's a parable. But the idea is in the parable, he gets turned away because what happens is he's telling the story about calling all of these people to get to know God. And he says, the original people that were called, Jesus calls the, these Jewish people, they say, oh, I don't want to follow God. You know how most of the Jewish people in Jesus' day rejected him. Then he says, we're going to call people from all over the place and they're going to come and they're going to attend the wedding right, the festival where Jesus is crowned as king and his wedding to the church. And all these people show up. But the master of the house goes and he finds somebody and he says, he's not wearing a wedding garment. He's wearing his normal clothes. He's not wearing his wedding clothes, his special clothes. And the master says to this guy, who let you in here? And the guy said, uh, nothing. He didn't know how to answer him. And he said, get this guy out of here and send him away. And he's cast out, removed from the presence of all the joy that's happening. What's that story about? Well, I think what it's about is what Psalm 15 is about. The question of who can be with God. The answer is unrighteous people cannot be with God. They just can't be. Problem is all of us are unrighteous. We're all sinned. All fall short of the glory of God. What do we do? I think the picture there is Jesus is saying, I have to provide righteousness for you. And that's what he does. I think that's what the gospel of Matthew is all about. Always driving back to Jesus provides righteousness for us. That's how we can be close to God. Now, here's the question for us. If you say, yeah, I trust in Jesus. I believe I, I am walking the path. I, I, uh, it's, it's hard. I'm not perfect, but I think I, I'm making progress in godliness. Okay, well, point number two is for you. Point number two, I'd love for you to write this down. Aim to please God with your lifestyle. Aim to please God with your lifestyle. What I mean by your lifestyle is the choices you make, the words you choose to use, the things that you watch, the places you go the friends that you have, the music that you listen to, all of it, all-encompassing. There's nothing that's off the table for God. There's nothing that's like, well, I can have my little area of, of sin over here, but I'll do all this good stuff for God. That's the whole problem with the Psalm 15 person. It's like, no, it's a person who's sold out for God, doing what's right. He's blameless. Now, that word blameless and his conduct, I think that's a good summary of everything that's described, so there's like 10 lines, if you count them, I think there's 10 lines here, 10 descriptions of what a righteous person does and what he's like. But the first one, it kind of summarizes everything. And I think that's what point number two is all about, right? Aim to please God with your lifestyle, to walk blamelessly. Now, here's the question for us. What does that look like? How do we do that? How do we really put that into practice? Okay. Well, I got four questions for you. Your subpoints that are on your worksheet right now are four different questions I want you to ask yourself tonight and really honestly search your heart and see what we find here. Four questions to ask yourself. Am I a Psalm 15 person? Am I a person who God said, yeah, that kind of person lives with God. That kind of person is close to God. Not saying if you can try to do good in all these things, God will embrace you. Remember, we talked about that. You need perfect righteousness from Jesus. But if you do have a relationship with God through Jesus, you will look like the Psalm 15 person. So that's what we're striving for. So four questions for you. The first one comes from verse number two says, he who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks truth in his heart. I want you to think about how significant that is. Speaks truth in his heart. Do you speak in your heart? What is that? What are we talking about? Speaking in your heart? Don't you speak with your mouth, right? Well, think about it. In order for you to speak with your mouth, where does it start? It starts in your heart, right? Jesus says that in New Testament. It says, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So speaking truth in your heart, means that you are valuing and caring about the truth and not deceiving yourself, not convincing yourself of things that are not true, and then going on to tell the truth. First question I want you to ask yourself is, do I tell the truth or bend the truth? Do I tell the truth or do I bend the truth? reason I include that other one is because in this Psalm, it's like the person who does this and doesn't do that. So there's a lot of back and forth, right? But that's the first thing I want you to think of, do you tell the truth or do you bend the truth? When your teacher asks, hey, what's going on here? What do you, what did you do? And you spin a tale to make yourself look like you didn't do anything wrong oh, well, yeah, yeah, I I didn't do my homework, but really it's because, you know, this guy wasn't doing his homework. Oh, I was with them and they were distracting me. Like that stuff comes out of our mouth all the time, deflecting, blame shifting, say, oh, it's someone else's fault. Or sometimes when you tell a story about yourself, you put yourself as the hero and the one who didn't do anything wrong and everybody else did what was wrong. That's bending the truth. That's not speaking the truth in the heart. Especially even when we're talking about sin. If you're talking about sin, the person who speaks the truth in the heart, I just think of Psalm 51 where it says, you know, David says, I want to be clean and truthful in the inward being. The whole point is he's confessing his sin. He's saying, I got all this sin that I've hidden in here. I just want to get it out, tell the truth so my heart can be right. My heart can be clean. He confesses his sin. Do you bend the truth? Do you tell the truth? Ephesians 4, 25 says, if you're a Christian, you should put away falsehood. In all kinds, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. That's like saying you're an arm and a toe and a foot. We are all part of one body. If we're in Christ, we're the church. We are part of one body. What if the hand, the right hand and the left hand, were lying to each other, right? If you want to give yourself a high five, instead of going like this, you go like, right? That's not good, right? Then you kind of, sorry, that was lame. But then you tell the truth, right? They need to know where they are, right? If not, you'll clap really weird, right? But you can imagine, oh, if your hands don't know what's going on, like you try to clap and it's like, oh, that didn't work, right? You need to tell the truth. Why, why do they need to be on the same page? Well, because you're one body, right? You, your hand and your foot need to agree. Here's the thing. If you're a Christian, you need to tell the truth at all times, especially when you're talking to Christians. It's even more important. You tell the truth all the time. But he makes a point here saying, if you're lying to another Christian, if you're exaggerating to another Christian, if you're bending the truth to another Christian, like you're hurting yourself because we're one body. The next one, he says, the one who does not slander with his tongue and does no evil to his neighbor and doesn't take up a reproach against his friend. I think all of those have to do with the sins of the tongue, the mouth. James 1.26 is a helpful verse for us. You can write that down. James 1.26 says, if anyone thinks he's religious, if anyone thinks he knows God, but doesn't bridle his tongue, doesn't bite his tongue sometimes, doesn't stop himself from saying something, doesn't say, Oh, I don't want to say this unrighteous thing sometimes. Okay, that person deceives his heart and his religion is worthless. Could you imagine? Doing a bunch of things at church and a bunch of things, you know, for this person, right? The Jewish person at the synagogue and all the sacrifices and the festivals. Just for the Bible to say all of that was worthless because you didn't control your mouth? Think about that. Like, God's huge what the Bible is claiming for you and me. Why is it worthless? Well, because he's saying, well, because if you don't really have good words, then your heart's not good, which means you did all the religious things for a bad reason. That's, that's the point. Thing here, slander, taking reproach against his neighbor, doing evil against his neighbor. The question I want you to ask, second question is, do I stop or spread gossip? Because I think that's, the, that's what slander is, gossip. You could even apply this further. There's more than this, but this is just one specific way that people often slander. But, but do you stop or do you spread gossip? Which one? You might say, well, I don't really do either. I just kind of like let it happen, right? Well, chances are if you don't stop it, you're probably spreading it, even if you don't think about it. Proverbs sixteen twenty-eight. I got a lot of verses for you here about gossip. I want you to write them down. Proverbs sixteen twenty-eight says, a dishonest man spreads strife, which means fighting or, or, or like an angst between people. Like a dishonest man takes two people and says, did you hear what that person said about you? And now two people are fighting that never would have been fighting, but the dishonest man came up to him and, oh, you should... You should be mad about this that this person did. Then it says, a whisperer separates close friends. Those two people could be really close, but a whisperer, a gossip, someone who's, you hear what this person did? You hear what this person said? Oh, this person does. That person separates people that are close. Proverbs 26, 20 says, for lack of wood, the fire goes out. If you've ever been camping, you know that, right? When there's no more wood, fire goes out. Once it's all turning to ashes, right, then no more fire. It says, and when there's no whisperer, quarreling ceases. I imagine that there are fights going on right now between some of you. Right now, that happened tonight. That maybe some of you are in the middle of right now. You know how that ends? When you shut up. That's when it ends, right? And well, there's no more whispering. Well, then quarreling ceases. Think about it. That's when that's when it ends. When there's no more talking. It says, as charcoal to hot embers and wood to fire, so is a quarrelsome man for kindling strife. It's like the things that you use at your campfire to like keep the fire going, and you put in some leaves and maybe some tree bark. Like that's kindling for the fire, right? It says that's what it is. If the fire represents a fight between friends, like the whisper is always feeding that, making it worse. What's the answer? Stopping, not saying anything. It says the words of a whisper are like delicious morsels. They're like little candies that we just love eating. Ooh, oh, gossip? Oh yeah, I'd love to hear that. Eating, like eating a little candy, right? Like delicious morsels, they go down into the inward parts of the body. It's like, hmm, that feels good to me. Glad I heard some gossip today. Mm, Did you hear what this person said? Oh, let tell me, tell me. I want to know what that person did. Oh, what did that oh I want to know what that person said. And it's like this person is constantly going between, you know, the Hershey's kisses and the Snicker bars. You know, it's like, oh, I'll take a little bit of that, I'll take a little bit of that, and then they're spreading it, and then they're starting a fire and they're burning down relationships. Ephesians 4.29 says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. What, about, what does God think about this? Well, Psalm 101, verse five. What does Psalm 101, verse five say? You probably don't know that one. This is an unfamiliar one for most of us, but Psalm 101, verse five says, whoever slanders his neighbor secretly, this is God speaking, whoever slanders his neighbor secretly, I will destroy. Destroy that person who's talking behind other people's back. Whoever has a haughty look, and an arrogant heart, haughty, arrogant, that means prideful, that means like looking down on people. Whoever does that, God says, I will not endure. I just, I can't, I just can't take it. When people look down on other people w- with a very prideful look. Well, how, do, okay, how do we stop and, and start talking good and stop the gossip? Okay. Um, I think part of it for us, if we think about what does repentance look like, and I think this is what something you need to value, Proverbs 22.1. Proverbs 22.1 says that a good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, and favor is better than silver or gold. A good name, a good reputation. Right? I, I want a good reputation that's better than having a lot of money. You having a good reputation is better than you being rich. That's what that says. Right? So now, take that and think, do I care enough about my friends for them to have a good reputation? In a good name? Right? Because like the Bible says a good reputation is is better than anything else. Well, am I like constantly ruining my friend's reputation with my other friends? Or do I think, well, you know, it's good for them to have a good name and a good I want people to think highly of them because I love them. Right? Read a good quote this week about that. Some it was somebody quoting someone else, and what they said was, you know, there's a lot of evil people out there that speak slanderous things about preachers and ministers and Christians, right? don't add to the problem by you doing it too. Christians get a lot, I mean, a lot of bad things said about Christians, real Christians. Don't add to it. Just leave it alone. Just don't add to the, the slander and the gossip. Verse 4, back in our passage, look at Psalm fifteen four. It says, this is what a righteous person's like. It's a person in whose eyes a vile person is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord, okay? That's two sides of one coin, right? That's the do this, don't do this part, It says, don't look up to bad people, but do look up to good people, right? In fact, it actually is kind of different. Actually, what it literally means is the person who thinks little of the person who's evil. It's not that you look down in haughtiness and think, ooh, they're terrible. Oh, they're like, you just don't really care, right? Like, That evil people, they don't really, they don't move you. Like you see people, everybody wants to be like the latest pop star. Everyone wants to be like the the TikTokers or whatever. It's like that doesn't really move me. Like it just doesn't. That doesn't get me. I I mean, I don't really want to be like that. Right? And again, it doesn't have to be that. Right? I don't mean to be the old person picking on you. Um, Old people have it too, right? They want to be like the rich people. They want to be like their favorite investors. They want to be like CEOs. They want to be like sports heroes. They want to be like whatever. The problem is we all have people that we shouldn't look up to, but sadly, you and I look up to. For us, third question, do I look up to evil or good role models? Who do I look up to? Do I look up to good role models or or evil role models? Do I say, yeah, the people I really want to get to know the people I want to be like are, are, oh, they're the righteous people. Or is it like, yeah, no, it's actually the popular people? Because think about this, the Bible teaches that you become like the people you want to be like. That's just, it's just how it works. Right? Some of you dress like the people that you want to be like. Some of you talk like the people you want to be like. Some of you, we see this super clear in sports, right? You, if you're a baseball player, you do the same batting stance. That's why a lot of you think I look up to Larry Bird because I shoot like weird. Um, I don't look up to Larry Bird, but I do happen to shoot like Larry Bird. I don't shoot like Larry Bird in the sense that I make a lot of baskets, but I have an awkward... Never mind. Point is, right, everybody like picks their person and says, I'm going to do it like them, right? That's just true of all of us. That's true of your parents. That's true of me. It's true of you. We all pick people to want to be like, and then we start looking like them and being like them and acting like them and talking like them. Here's the question. If you become like the people you're following, what will you end up like? Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about that? If I really start to become like this person, what will I end up like? Some of you think, well, great, I'll be, you know, I'll, I'll be more athletic. I'll be more successful. I'll be smarter. I'll be funnier. Okay. Um, Might be those things. The question for you is like, will you be more godly? Do you look up to people who know God better than you? Right there, you got small group leaders who like want to know God. And when you're not looking, they're going to pray for you. And they're reading their Bible even when you're not talking to them about it. Like they're doing that because they love God, and they want to be like God. Right? Many of you have parents. It's the same thing. They want to be like God. They love God. It's hard for a 13-year-old to say, I want to be like my mom and dad. Right? If I asked you, probably, most of you probably wouldn't say, yeah, I want to be like mom and dad, but maybe some of you should be, want to be like mom and dad. Some of you should. Again, it takes a little humility to say that, but it's true. Jesus, when he was asked who he looked up to. It was kind of in a roundabout way. In fact, Jesus's family showed up one time when he was preaching, and they were trying to get him to stop preaching, right? They were not doing the right thing. And someone said to Jesus, hey, your, your mom and your brothers are all here. And Jesus kind of did something unexpected. He, he asked them a question. Hey, who, who are my mother and my brothers? Who are the people that I hang out with? Who's my crowd? Who are the people I look up to? Who are the friends that I have? Who are the brothers that I love? Who's the mom that I look up to? It's the one who does the will of God. It's the people who do what God wants to do. That's the people I want to be like. Jesus said that. That's just interesting. It's like, I want to surround myself with those people. That's the people, I think, it's not just talking about influence when it talks about mother, sister, brothers. I think more talking about fellowship. More talking about, those are the people I want to be with. It's my family. The one who does the will of God. End of verse 4, back in our passage. Last thing. What's the last question we should ask? Well, this person, the righteous person, swears to his own hurt and does not change. He doesn't put out his money at interest. He doesn't take a bribe against the innocent. And that person, they're doing those things. There's the other summary, I think that's the end summary, is they won't be moved. Okay. So what can we learn from those three things? Swearing to his own hurt, not putting out his money at interest, and not taking a bribe. You might be thinking, I don't do much with money. I don't do much with greediness. right? Well, I think here's the the way that you and I can be more righteous. The question I want you to ask yourself is, do people trust my word? Do people trust me? Can people trust me? Whether it's with money, whether it's with your promises, I think that's what the swearing to your own hurt and not changing, which I wish maybe that was said a little differently. Maybe a better way of thinking about that might make more sense is that you make commitments and promises and you'll always keep them even if it hurts you. Sometimes you say, yeah, I'll sit with you tomorrow at lunch. Or yeah, oh, I'll do, I'll do homework with you. And then you realize, oh, but I'd rather watch that show. Oh, I'd rather, you know what? I'd rather be with somebody else because I got invited by someone else who's nicer or not nicer, someone else who's cooler and I want to be with them. I, I agreed to be with you, but yeah, you know what? I'm not going to hang out with you tomorrow because someone else asked me and I'd rather be with them. The person who swears to his own hurt and does not change is the person who says, I committed to hang out with this person. I don't care that someone cooler and someone I'm closer with told me they want to hang out. I'll hang out with the person I agreed to because that's what I said. And I mean what I say. Back to the first thing, do I tell the truth? I mean, am I a truth teller? Do I bend the truth? This person can be trusted that they won't take advantage of the people. I think money is such a powerful thing, and that's what the main thing here is, but for you, it might not be a money thing. It's probably going to be a trust thing. Do people trust you? When you say, I'm going to go somewhere, do you go there? When you tell your parents, I will take out the trash, do you, or do you forget? Right? We hide behind that so often. Oh, I forgot. I forgot. Well, you wouldn't have forgotten if you did what you said you were going to do, right? You would have just done it. We give a lot of excuses for ourselves, and I've done it too. I just think that psalm 15 is so clear we we got to be people who keep our word people who keep their commitments even when it's hard people who don't change their mind because it's inconvenient one last verse i want you to write down james 5:12. we're gonna look at this in small groups but james 5:12 says but above all my brothers do not swear don't make a make a oath or a promise it's weird says, don't swear either by heaven or by earth, by any oath. Just let your yes be yes and your no be no. Now think about it. For some of you, that doesn't even work right now. Do You know why? Because some of you, because you've been so dishonest, you're forced to say, no, I promise, because maybe you've been dishonest. And it's like, I I can't even just have my yes, be yes, and no be no, because I've been so dishonest, people don't even believe me. I have to make promises and keep them. But here he says, look, here's what a Christian should just do. Just say yes or no. Don't like swear. Oh, I swear by heaven now, right? Which again, people did that and they made all these promises by heaven and sometimes they made it by the temple and the gold in the temple. Jesus talks about that a little bit. He just says, just stop that. Just tell the truth. See, like if you could tell the truth and your friends could tell the truth and you just trusted each other, you wouldn't need to manipulate. You wouldn't need to lie. There wouldn't need to be any of that. You just confess your sin when you're wrong and you just keep your commitments Again, I say that like it's easy. It's, I know it's hard, but that's the ideal life, and that's the life that we're going to live with God forever. You will keep all your commitments. You won't break promises. If you have to say, I promise, after you say anything, it's kind of a red flag. People don't believe you. That's why the question is, do people trust you? We all have room to grow here. It's hard, but you earn trust over a long period of time. And Maybe you've heard this before from your parents, right? I heard a lot growing up, like, it takes a long time to earn trust, it's easy to lose it, And that's the way that we need to think. We only be sawing 15 people, right? Keeping our word, best we can. And when we can't, just be honest and say you fell short. The question I asked you at the beginning is, are we real, are we legit? Um, or, I guess the opposite of that is, are we fake? Because I think Psalm 15 exposes us. If we're fake, we felt exposed in this text. It's like, whoa, yeah, that is talking about me. That's fake. When Alexander and I got married, we made an interesting decision with our furniture. I ever told you the story about how we bought a bedroom set and it was really like nice and expensive and it was our big purchase, you know, and they couldn't get it up the stairs at our apartment. It wouldn't fit in the door. So we had to return it. We never even got to use it. So we made this decision. You know what we'll do? We'll just buy really cheap furniture. It's fine. So we did. And uh, bought it at Home Depot, right? That's, yeah. It was like 60 bucks for our nightstands. It was like really cheap stuff, right? But it looked kind of fancy and nice at the time. I was like, OK, this is great. we bought dressers, right? Two dressers, same dresser. Yeah, it are great. You know, they're pretty nice and big. Yeah, um, those dressers are the worst dressers <laughs> that have ever existed, ever. They're made of like, I'm pretty sure they're made of paper. Like, the, I, I say they're made of paper. No, they're actually made of, of press wood that is basically, it's like sawdust that was pressed together. That's what press wood is, right? Um, within the first like two months half of my drawers were broken because they had bent in. So now one of them, I don't even use the bottom one. I don't even use because it's like, it just sits there and collects sawdust. Every time you open and close it, it's just dropping sawdust on the bottom. I think I have some like sweaters down there that I never touch. So like, it's bad. And they're super cheap. And then we got the nightstands that match. We probably only paid, this might sound like a lot of money, but it's not. We probably only paid like $250 for four pieces. That's pretty cheap. And Anytime you put anything that's liquid on it, there immediately becomes this ring that sticks out of it. And I'm not talking about like a little bit, like there's a little tiny ring. Like, no, no, like the water absorbs in the press wood and it like blooms and expands. <laughs> so it's like really messed up. And I think we're just not good at lighting our rooms. So sometimes I don't even notice, but then sometimes I'm like, wow, these are really messed up. Uh, but we made this commitment. Look, we're not going to buy nice ones. We'll just like wait. Whatever next place we're in, next apartment, or if we ever get a house one day, if that ever happens, like yeah, we'll, we'll get new furniture at some point, but um, we'll just live with the bad thing. We've been living with the bad thing for what? Like two years now, it's been bad. We've been married for what? You two and a half? Yeah, about that. Um, they've been bad for like two years, um, but we're putting up with it. But here's the thing. They're cheap. I would almost say they're fake right? because it's not even real wood. It's press board. It's fake. But it shows up. It doesn't take very long. It doesn't take very much wear and tear to prove that they're fake. Then I wondered why do some dressers last for like 200 years? You know, you can buy like antique dressers that were made in like the 1800s. It's like they still work. And there's no weird rollerball tracks. It just kind of slides in and slides right out and it's fine. And you could take a hammer and you could knock it and nothing would happen to it because it's solid. Why? Because it's real, it's expensive. It took a lot of work to put together. Just these things probably were made in a factory, just a bunch of parts made in a factory with press board and sawdust. And that's why they probably cost the manufacturer like 30 bucks um, to make. So it's really cheap. But the point is, the realness and the fakeness shows up over time. Even at the beginning, right now, you and the faker Maybe you are the real one. You and the faker might look similar right now, but here's the truth. When you go to high school, when you go to college, the more and more wear and tear in the world, it will show whether or not you are real, solid, authentic, legit, or if you are a fake. And the thing that we need to get firmly put in our mind tonight is I don't want to be fake. If I know I'm a fake, I just want to turn to God tonight. I want to repent of that. I want to repent of putting on a show before people. I want to turn to God tonight and know that through Jesus, I can be forgiven of my sin. It's important, more important than anything else, that we're real, genuine, and close to God. Let's pray, and then we're gonna go to small groups to talk about this. God, this sermon is hard, and this text is convicting for us as all of us fall short of your perfect and holy standard. But I pray that those of us who do know you and who are close to you, pray that we would continue to model our lifestyle after your word I pray that we would continue to look more like you, that we would continue to grow in holiness, to look more like you, to be more like you, because we know one day we will see you as you are and you will change us instantly, as 1 John 3 says. I pray that we'll see you soon. I pray that even if we don't see you for a long time, I pray that we'd constantly be changed to be more like you and that that would just bear a lot of fruit in this group, that quarrels and fights and problems would stop when when whispers stop. Pray that there would be confession and repentance as we read in our DBR today and yesterday, that there'd be real forgiveness. Just pray that you would help us with this, God. We need your help. We need grace from you to be able to do this. I pray that you'd be pleased with our lifestyle and that this would be a more godly group of people that we would all individually, all of us who care about knowing you, I pray that we'd all be more godly as a result.